after Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are so delighted to have you uh, joining us on the stream this morning. Uh, I'm going to be speaking on a particular subject. I'm going to be speaking on the subject of eldership, and the reason for that is that last week at our Vision Sunday, I proposed to the church from James, Sam, and I that we would consider Ben Sampson, who's just been up here, as an elder. And uh, so I want to teach through eldership. Now, uh, if you're part of the church family, this is really important for you. Uh, if, you're a, if you're joining us on the stream today, but you're not part of our church family, what I hope is that you will come away with a much uh, clearer sense of God's passion for His church and the way that He puts leaders into His church in order to serve the church. So I'm just going to pray for two seconds, and then we're going to get uh, stuck into this material. Father, we thank You that You love Your church We thank you that you are advancing your kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, rule and reign throughout the nations, and you're doing it through the agents of your church. And we thank you that you give leadership, godly, uh, God-hearted leadership to your church in order to lead that charge and that advance. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would this morning, uh, that you'd give us faith for all that you have for us as a church, that you would give us faith for leadership. I pray, Father, that there'd be people who were stirred this morning about stepping into taking responsibility in leadership in one way or another. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd lay uh, your, your hands on various people, wherever they are this morning, and stir up a fresh sense of faith for what you have for them. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay. Now, the roadmap for where I'm going this morning is that what I'm going to do is outline some New Testament leadership principles, and then I'm going to work through one of the passages that specifically deals with eldership uh, so that we can understand the heart of eldership. I'm not going to cover eldership in all its detail this morning. We don't have time for that. We will put in some time to uh, answer questions, and I'll be blogging on this over the next few weeks. Uh, So you're very welcome to send me questions as they come up. Okay, so to start off with, diving into some New Testament leadership principles. Uh, I'd like to make a number of statements about New Testament leadership that will hopefully create a context for what I'm going to speak on this morning. And the first is that God gives leaders to His church as gifts. That's one of the gifts that He gives to His people is leadership. And we see this in four different strata. The first strata is, of course, Jesus Himself. That the Father, in that sense, has given Jesus. Uh, He is the King of the kingdom, uh, and He's also the head of the church. And He's the one who pours the Holy Spirit over His people to comfort them, to encourage them, to empower them, uh, to equip them for the works of service that He's called them to. Jesus is the apostle of our faith. He's the good shepherd. 
Uh, He's not just a prophet, he is the very voice of God to us. He's the ultimate evangelist and teacher. Now, secondly, God has given what we refer to as the Ephesians 4 gift. And uh, the reason we refer to them that way is that you will find them in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. Four things, apostles, prophets, pastor teachers, and evangelists. So he gives a, a group of gifts in order to equip the church to make it apostolic, to make it prophetic, to make it evangelistic, to make it uh, a caring, uh, understanding people. He gives these gifts to bring the church to maturity. And then locally, specifically, God gives two offices of leaders. The first are elders, and the second are deacons. The word deacon actually simply means servant. Uh, It's the Greek word for servant, uh, and it encompasses a real breadth of leadership. Now, there are a couple of principles of New Testament leadership that we should be aware. The first is this, that New Testament leadership is parental in its nature. So, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul speaks to the Thessalonians, and he, he says this. He says, we were gentle like a nursing mother. If you think about a nursing mother, you think about the nature of holding a baby close to her breast, the sense of tenderness and care and love. That's how Paul expresses that they were with this this baby church, this, uh, this church plant that was being formed in Thessalonica. We were like a nursing mother. We were gentle with you. There's a, there's a, a motherliness to leadership that Paul speaks about. A little bit further down in that passage, he says, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored you to live lives worthy of Jesus Christ. There's a sense in that 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 Paul is saying, in the same way that we were like a nursing mother with you, we were like a father who was loving his own kids, protecting them, encouraging them, pushing them on. Come on, kids. I love you. Let's go and do this together. This this motherly, fatherly nature that Paul talks about in terms of leadership in the church. And the second principle is that leadership in the church is multiplicational in its style. And in that sense, you you could look at parents or family again. And what you find with family is that it starts with a mom and dad, and it has children, and they multiply through having families of their own, and then you tend to have more grandkids than kids. And, and, and so we find through the generations, there's this multiplication that happens. Well, the family of God is no different. There is a multiplicational reality to the family of God. It's not just one to one to one to one. Leadership is multiplied. There's a sense of continual overflow, continual, uh, not addition, but multiplication of the church and of leadership. And so drawing out these two principles, number one, God's church is described as a household of which God himself describes himself as our father. The church is his family. And therefore, leadership in the church has much more to do with family and parenthood than it does to do with business per se. 
Now, there's lots of fabulous material written about business leadership. Much of it is foundationed in the Scriptures. But we must keep a very clear understanding in our minds that God's church is not a business, and it is not led like a business. It is a family, and it is led as a family leads. And so leadership bears much more resemblance to mum and dad than it does to CEO, CFO, uh, boards, directors, etc., etc. And just in, as in a family, a father and mother are essential for raising healthy children. Uh, we see that uh, operating both in their roles and in their giftings. We find that leadership in the church is both father and mother. There's, there's this sense that it's both female and male. Both father and mother exercise leadership within the family. They're both leaders. And they exercise their leadership according to A, their role, and B, their gift. Now, the roles are assigned by God. The gifts are given by God, and they work out how those things interact. So, for example, the father, uh, the husband, loves his wife and lays down his life for her. We see that in Ephesians 2. The children learn how to love and how to sacrifice from dad's example. The wife loves and respects her husband, following his leadership in their marriage, exercising her gifts in the context of that marriage. The children learn to respect and operate in healthy submission through their mum's example. So gifting and role work together. You, you can't have a father bearing children. That is a mother's role. God has apportioned that role to the mum. Uh, and, and so we understand the sense of how gifts and roles work together in the family. Well, it's the same in the family of God. So Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul intros his letter to the Philippians, and he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, to the whole congregation, to the whole church. And then he says, with the overseers and deacons. So he essentially addresses three sets of people. The whole church, the overseers or elders or pastors, and the deacons or servants or broader leadership. At, at different points, we've actually talked about, should we call our life group leaders life group servants? Should we call our team leaders team servants? Because the, the heart of biblical leadership is to serve. And this word that, is, uh, that we find, this kind of odd word, deacons, what is a deacon? Well, a deacon is essentially a, a, a servant leader that is appointed in church life in order to, uh, to help the elders care for and lead the church. Elders don't do everything. They don't care for everyone. There's no way that they possibly can. Part of their role is to raise up other leaders around them, equip them, uh, release them with authority and responsibility in order that the church might be cared for and that the mission might advance. And so that's a key role of, of elders. In the same way that we would say in the family, the role of mum and dad is not to keep the kids in the family. Uh, you, you know, there's something wrong with a 30-year-old who's living at home and complaining about mum's cooking and expecting her to do his washing. There's something wrong about that. 
Okay? And in the same way, there's something wrong in the church about people who just come and listen to messages week after week after week where they're not growing into responsibility, where they're not taking on all that God has for them. So there's a sense that the, the elders, the, uh, just like parents, are raising up, releasing, and sending ultimately to go and start new families. Now, as a church, we have male and female leaders in lots of different ways, life group leaders, team leaders, worship leaders, alpha leaders. But the focus that I want to give today is specifically talking about elders. And uh, in the coming season, I'll, I'll take some time to address Ephesians 4 gifts and deacons. But the reason we're focusing specifically on eldership today is that, as I said just now, uh, we proposed Ben as an elder to us as a church family, and so I specifically want to engage the question of what is an elder. Now, there are five passages that I would like to ask you, church, to read and consider this week as you are praying. Acts 20, verses 17 to 38, which is the passage I'm going to look at in a moment. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7 where Paul talks about the qualifications of elders. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 to 25. Titus 1, 5 to 9, which is actually an almost identical list of qualifications to the list we find in 1 Timothy 3. But there is a difference. There is one element that is missing from Titus's list, and that is that we should not lay hands on young believers for eldership. The situation or the context was different between Ephesus, where uh, Timothy was, that church was well established by that point, probably 12 or 13 years old. Uh, Titus was pioneering a whole new work of church plants across the island of Crete. There were not many believers who actually had been believers for very long. And so Paul omits uh, that particular qualification from the list that he gives to Titus. Now, 1 Peter 5, verses uh, 1 to 5, and this is a, an, another helpful list of qualifications, and one of the things that's important about it is that the other two lists were written by Paul, both to Titus and Timothy, but this is written by Peter. So we find a fellow apostle and the same things that he is speaking about in terms of eldership, and we find the synchronicity between those two apostles. So I'd like to encourage you to read through those and to consider them in prayer as you consider this question of Ben as an elder. There are three Greek words that are used interchangeably to describe elders in the New Testament. So presbyteros, uh, which is the Greek word, and it's translated elder in our Bibles. And uh, obviously, this is what we get Presbyterian church. It's a church led by elders. Um, the emphasis of the word elder is on leading among the community, having authority and maturity and responsibility within the community. The second word is episkopos, which is the Greek word translated overseer. Uh, and the emphasis on this word is of a guardian or a director or a steward. And uh, rather unhelpfully, this word has been translated biskopos as well, from which we get bishop uh, and uh, that in, in the New King James, or the King James, and that actually probably is unhelpful to the way we understand the word overseer. It is episkopos, and it is the same person as the presbyteros. 
And then the third word that we have is poimen. You don't need to remember these words. I just want you to see that, you'll, that all three of the words are used interchangeably, describing in that sense different emphases of what elders are. So poimen is the Greek word which is translated shepherd. And most often we in the church these days use the word pastor, which is the Latin word for shepherd. Uh, and the emphasis in this word is on feeding and leading and nurturing and guiding. Uh, uh, there's a sense of safety. We, we, we take the sheep back to the pen. We put them in the pen. We, we lead them out. We care for them. We, we save them from wolves and other predators. We bring them to green pastures where they can feed. That is the role of a shepherd. I just want to say, though, that shepherds are not there, there, nicely, nicely people. There, there's a robustness to shepherds. There is a, a role. They're, they're, they're looking after the sheep with purpose. There's a sense of, hey, we're going here and we're coming back. There's a, a feeding that is very deliberate. Now, we tend to use the word elder in Trinity Central, uh, and part of the reason has been that we have sought to get away from the word pastor a little bit because it has become um, a bit of a catch-all word for anyone in church leadership, uh, and often it has become more of a title than a function. Uh, my daughter, my lovely daughter, gave me an amazing gift for Christmas this year. She gave me a set of AirPods, but she had these AirPods engraved with the words Pastor Reese, and she did that uh, because she knows uh, that that will, she's, uh, she's clapping away at the moment. Uh, she knows that there, is, there are a few things I hate more than using these functions as titles, uh, we don't go around talking about web developer Ryan or, uh, or, or, or teacher Sam. or We, we don't do those things. We, we don't describe people by their functions all the time. Why on earth do we talk about Pastor John? Okay, It's not to be used that way. It's to describe a function. So we have these three words, elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor. That's not to say that we're not pastors. We are pastors. We've just tended to use, uh, uh, we've tended to emphasize the word elder just to get away from the sense of using titles. Now, in the section that I'm about to look at in Acts 20, uh, Luke uses all three of these. Uh, so he calls the Ephesian elders presbyteros together, and he addresses them, Paul does, uh, with regard to their role as overseers, episkopos, and he speaks to them about the importance of their caring for and paying attention to the flock, uh, the, the sheep as shepherds of God's flock, and we find the word poimen in there. Okay, let's dive into Acts 20. I'm literally going to go through it step by step by step and draw out some things out of Acts 20, starting at verse 17. Now, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus... And he called the elders of the church to come to him, and when they came to him, he said to them. So, first thing to notice is that Paul called for the elders, and the elders were a clear, recognized group of men. So when they came to him, it wasn't just a nebulous group, oh, who wants to go and see Paul? There was a very clearly defined group of men who had already been set aside and appointed for this work. And the church needs to know who their fathers are. The church needs to know who their elders or pastors or shepherds are. 
The second thing that we find is that Luke doesn't say uh, Paul sent for the elder from Ephesus. He sent for the elders, plural. Uh, What we find in the New Testament is plural leadership. The leader of the team is a first among equals. There's no space actually in the New Testament for this idea of a senior pastor who has an, an, a veto vote over everybody else. Nor actually is there a, a, a context for a board of elders that hire and fire the pastor. These are, these are foreign concepts to the New Testament. The New Testament sees a team of elders leading the church together, a, a, a first among equals leading that team, and that, that group of, of men carry this responsibility among the church. Now, Paul begins to teach them. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, Paul's first appeal in his talking to this group of elders is to, the, is to example. Elders are to be a model in the community of love for Jesus, of persevering through difficulty and pressure, of the seriousness about the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean they're not men who don't have fun. That doesn't mean they're not men who don't enjoy themselves and enjoy themselves among the church. There's a wonderful thing about being at a family meal. Uh, There's a sense of, of how we are together in fun. But there's this equally, there's this seriousness. There's this consciousness of the weightiness of the gospel. This is the message of salvation, and we persevere through thick through thin. We, we go through difficult times. We go through the, the wonderful times of celebration and rejoicing. We are s- those who stick in and who carry the weight together. And so an eldership team is not primarily a decision-making body. It is a modeling body, if you would excuse me saying that. Elders, <laughs> uh, just to be clear what kind of modeling we're talking about, I'm sure none of you want me modeling Uh, in uh, any clothes in a fashion show. Elders lead through the example of their own lives, their own prayer lives, their own giving, their own heart for other people, their own care. This they model, and out of that, as they're caught up in this mission, as they're running this race, uh, out of that, there are decisions that need to be made in church life, and so decisions are made. But the primary or the first thing is that we model and walk out the mission of the gospel together in team. Then Paul goes on to say, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance before God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this sense, Paul talks about, I didn't shrink back. I didn't just give you the nice stuff and avoid the difficult stuff. Elders must be prepared to tackle tough subjects. They mustn't shrink back from the truth, however uncomfortable the truth 
may be. However contrary to the culture that we live in, the truth may be. However challenging it might be to confront somebody in, on sin, we have to hold that course. Now, uh, this does give me an opportunity to boast on my brothers a little bit. Uh, I'd like to just honor my brother James, uh, one of our elders, who has shared his struggle with pornography uh, as a younger man with us very publicly as a church. He's chosen to make himself vulnerable and to share his story for the benefit of the whole church, uh, that our view of sin and repentance might be a biblical one. Last year, when the whole uh, Black Lives Matter uh, question of racism burst into social media and came into high profile, James brought an outstanding teaching on this question. And so there, there has to be a courage to take on the subjects that are in our culture that we're engaged with, dealing with in elders. Secondly, Paul talks about teaching, and he talks about two different contexts. In public, and I've just mentioned that, and then from house to house. Now, not all elders are gifted to be public teachers. Some are a bit more behind-the-scenes guys, but all are required to love the truth and to teach, to instruct from house to house. And I would say that much of the teaching I do is not in the pulpit. It's in conversation and discussion. And often, I'm dealing with issues of, of truth uh, error, I'm bringing correction, I'm instructing, maybe I'm talking about sin and bringing a line in terms of clarity to that. Often these subjects might be contentious. And I have seen people leave our church on the basis of us holding particular lines. I haven't enjoyed that. It's not my desire. I long that everyone would be part of our church and that we would run together because I believe that we will do one another good. But at the same time, there's this tension that I walk, which is loving and caring for and extending grace and being faithful to this Jesus who is holy and pure and righteous and brings a different culture, kingdom culture, to bear. It's not negotiable. Challenging sin can be awkward and difficult. We just have to do it. We, we walk this line of extending grace to the weak, but also bringing clarity. I, I remember uh, one example, and I'm not going to use an example from Trinity Central in this, though there are plenty of examples, but I remember confronting a guy on an adulterous relationship back in London and, and having to challenge him and really having to unpack the grotesqueness of, of that sin. Uh, and what it was doing to his family, and to, to encourage him to come to Jesus in repentance. Can I just say, as an aside, that I would say, since the pandemic has hit, I have had more conversations with people about sin that has essentially come from uh, an apathy and a lackadaisicalness in their own spiritual walks, leading them into sinful behavior. And I want to encourage us, church, listen, this is not a time for apathy. This is not a time for just being lackadaisical. This is a time for investing in our walks with Jesus, growing in all that God has for us, uh, being pure and being aware of what we're looking at, what we're watching, and walking with purpose towards Jesus because we are that people that He wants us to be worthy of the glory of God. And so I just want to, want to comment on that. 
So essentially, there needs to be a fearlessness to elders uh, when it comes to declaring the word of truth. The number of times I've had to get up and preach something that I know is contentious, and I've, I've done my work. Uh, I, I remember preaching on, uh, <laughs> crazy, preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah, preaching through that passage uh, on Pride Day in London with people marching outside the venue that we were uh, meeting in. I remember preaching on David and Bathsheba when there was a member of my own family in church that day who was living in sexual sin. And I had to grapple with the personal sense of, uh, of wanting to water it down. So it wasn't quite as confrontational. But in the end, knowing, no, I have to declare truth. This is my responsibility. It's part of what it means to be an elder. And sometimes this fearlessness is not just in challenging sin. It's about faith. It's about calling. I mean, we just have, have seen the most incredible gift days. And I would say, as an eldership team and with all of our leaders, we've led into that. We've said, come on, let's give. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's do Alpha courses. Come on. There's a, a faith that comes from an eldership team that, that is leading the charge into the things that God has for us. God is looking for a people of faith. Paul continues, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. There's an incredible note of self-sacrifice uh, in what Paul shares here. And this is another thing that we need to be clear on in terms of eldership. Eldership is costly. Eldership is sacrificial. Eldership often means putting your, your own preferences not only second in place to your family, but also second in place to the church. It is a, a, a role that requires time and energy and effort, time away from the people that we love, time away from the things that we love. It is a sacrificial call. Being an elder in persecuted contexts means that you are probably the first in line to be imprisoned, the first in line to feel the pressure of threats. And so there's a, real, a, a reality to us being uh, aware of sacrifice as we step into leadership. Again, uh, speaking on this topic gives me an opportunity to boast in my brothers, uh, to honor Sam Wade. Sam is a marketplace elder. In other words, he's not uh, employed by the church. Uh, he coaches life group leaders. He cares for people pastorally. He probably, and this is all on his, in his spare time, after working a busy job that is often very demanding in a leadership role in his work. Actually, I think there's been sacrifice not only financially and in terms of leaving where they uh, lived in the UK, leaving family to move and be part of the planting of this church. There's been sacrifice in his career in terms of saying, I won't take promotions, I won't do particular, I won't advance maybe in the way that some of my contemporaries are because I need capacity in my life to elder the church, to shepherd the church. And so there's uh, sacrifice in that as well. 
well. And I just want to honor and commend Sam and Kath for the incredible sacrifice, the uh, sacrifices they have made in leading Trinity Central. Let me make one other comment in terms of finance. Money, money is a great indicator of people's hearts, uh, people's heart for the church. Where you put your money is a great indicator of where your heart is. A man or a woman who isn't faithful and generous with their money in the church, you do not want them as a leader. A man who doesn't give passionately to God's kingdom through the church is not someone you want as an elder because what you do with your money is a window into the soul of what is valuable to you. And so, because money is such a great revealer of the heart, I would be careful about bringing any person into leadership in the church, whether leading a team or a life group, if there isn't financial faithfulness and generosity in that person. Paul goes on, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Friends, this, uh, uh, the seriousness of what Paul is talking about here, it makes my heart tremble. There is something about the way he unpacks the seriousness of leading God's people. These, you, you are not, when you pastor a church, when you are an elder, this is not your church. These are God's people bought with Jesus' own blood that he is passionate about. And so elders and pastors serve as under shepherds to the great shepherd, looking after, loving, nurturing, caring for those who have been put in their, uh, in, under their care. And let me say this, is very clear from this, that again, we find this centrality of truth, this uh, sense of not shrinking back from declaring everything you need that is so critical. But he also says, the Holy Spirit made you overseer. So there's a call element to eldership. God puts a call on our hearts. I want to serve in church life. I want to give myself to this people. It's not just a, hey, I like the idea of leadership. I, I, like, I think I'm gifted. I'm going to step into this. No, there's a call element, and the Holy Spirit gives elders to His church. Uh, then He says, watch over your lives. Uh, obviously, this, uh, over these last weeks, the absolutely diabolical story of uh, Ravi Zacharias and what he perpetrated against women has come to light. What we would have thought of, what I thought of, as a great Christian leader. And we find this man falling in just a horrific, horrendous way. We've seen others, and we see Carl Lentz. We find others essentially making decisions to use their leadership position to isolate themselves from team to isolate themselves from accountable relationships, to not nurture their marriage, to, to, uh, to ultimately begin to wander into sin. Now, there's a, a clarity in this passage. Look after yourselves. Pay careful attention to your own hearts, to your own lives, elders, as you do it with the church. Hey, listen, 
God wants a pure bride. God wants a pure people, a holy people, a people set apart from Him. We're not a sinful people. We're bought with His blood, brought into the, the, the newness of life that Jesus has won for us. Now He wants us to live that life out. And so there's this seriousness, which actually we'll, we'll look at next week as we look at Ananias and Sapphira, the story of that in Acts. There's a seriousness that God wants us to be aware of in our own lives. Paul goes on to say, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. There's an intensity to what Paul is saying. Listen, elders are guardians. Elders are those who drive away wolves. Those are elders, uh, they, they, just like a shepherd has a staff with a crook at one end to rescue a sheep, there's also a blunt end at the other to whack a wolf. And uh, sometimes as elders, we have to whack wolves. And uh, we obviously do that with gentleness and love and grace, but we also do that with firmness and clarity. Just as an example, I remember one young man who was acting very inappropriately towards a number of women in the church. I caught wind of it, sat down with him, and uh, gave him a gentle whack. I uh, said, this is absolutely inappropriate. Your behavior is wolfish. It's devouring. It's destructive. And you'd better stop. Uh, and uh, sometimes we have to do that. We have to bring clarity. I'm not, I've got other examples, but we, we won't go on. Just finally, to sum up, there are three words that I would use to describe the role of elders, to guard, to guide, and to govern. And there are three words that we would use to speak about what elders are concerned about in the local church, and they're the three D words, doctrine, direction, and discipline. So guide, guard, govern, that's the role. Three things we're interested in, doctrine, discipline, direction. Paul tells Timothy that it's a noble thing to desire to be an elder, just as leadership in God's church is noble. It's a noble thing for us all. But he also tells us that we should be slow in the laying on of hands and appointing of elders. As I said last Sunday, we're proposing, James, Sam, and I are proposing Ben Sampson to you as a church, as an elder. The reason we are proposing is that leadership in the New Testament is never imposed. It is recognized. People see it, and they begin to follow it. They, they recognize it themselves. Now, I believe that God has a call on Ben's life for eldership, um, the question of whether he becomes an elder in this church is whether we receive him as an elder that way. But I do believe there is a call of God on his life for eldership. would say, too, that we have walked with him as an eldership team. On a personal note, uh, Ben has been part of the church for about seven years, and I've had the joy of discipling him, having many conversations with him, talking about everything from leadership to personal life. Um, I've also 
been in a place where I've challenged Ben at different points and have seen him respond to challenges with humility. I've known Ben be incredibly open and honest with me about things he probably would not have chosen to be open and honest about. That gives me a sense of confidence in him as a man who uh, delights to be accountable uh, with his own heart. Now, closely over the, the last 18 months, as an, a group of elders, we have watched him grow as we've invited him into our meetings. We've talked through things with him. We've wanted to get a view of him. We've wanted him to get a view of us and of eldership. Uh, we've loved having him in the team. He brings such energy. There's a testing of chemistry. Does this work? Does this work in team? And we are excited that it does. We were excited to see him come on to staff uh, in February, March time last year, and just the energy that he brought with him, the passion that he has for this church, for our mission, uh, the sense of being very happy to step into whatever is needed. I think he and Rochelle have done an absolutely fabulous job in the middle of a pandemic of beginning to, to, to work with our kids and our families. I, I believe it's just the beginning. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm really thrilled. I'm, I, I am personally delighted and excited uh, to propose Ben as an elder to you. We have seen him as a team player. And uh, so what I would like to do this morning is I would like to ask you as church members to write to us and to express uh, your own heart in this matter, whether positive or negative. We will take that seriously. Uh, I'd also just want to say this in conclusion and maybe the band could come up. Uh, retreating armies uh, do not tend to need leadership. It's every man for himself. But Jesus said, my kingdom is advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. There is an advance that we're part of. There is, there is an advancing mission. There's an advancing kingdom, and we need leaders. Last week, I said to us that this is not a time for us to hunker down and wait out the pandemic. This is a time to advance. This is a time for us to move forward as a church. And I proposed, Ben, as an elder to you as part of that. Why? Because we are not a retreating army, because God has called us, because God is with us as a church, and this is a season for advance. And so part of that advance is raising up, releasing leaders, saying, come on, run the race. And together, arm in arm, as I said last week, we're going to run this race. We're going to see God do mighty things in the months and the years to come. We're going to see churches planted. We're going to see all these embryonic things that are in hearts of people. We're going to see people rise through, no longer just sitting, listening, no longer a, a, an adolescent in the family, but growing through into leadership, carrying responsibility, maturity coming. We're going to see many raised up, released, sent. We're going to see God moving in power. And that's that is the context that I want you to bear in mind as we talk about eldership. Father, we thank you for what you've called us to as a church. We thank you that you've put a call on our lives individually and together. And we respond to you this morning in faith. We say yes to your promises. We say yes to your call in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's close in a song of worship together. My heart, let me be as cold 
and precious silver purify my heart let me be as gold Just as Sam and Eden and Adlin have led us in that song, I just want to give an opportunity for anyone who would say, I know that even as you've been speaking this morning, Reese, God has put his finger on sin in my life. I just want to lead you in a moment of repentance. Repentance is two things. Repentance is first offering it to God, uh, being brutally honest about what it is, uh, not, not, not minimizing it, but telling it as it is. And then the second thing is not saying, I'm going to do better next time. It's saying, Lord Jesus, I need your help and your transforming power in my life. So let me lead you in repentance. Lord Jesus, follow me just in praying this out. Lord Jesus, I come before your gracious throne this morning. And I confess to you, now just confess whatever it is that you want to bring to Him. Just confess it in its entirety. Now pray after me. Lord, I want to be holy as you are holy. And I know, Lord Jesus, that I can't do that in my strength. But that the power of your Holy Spirit is alive in me. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, 
that you would help me to live in the holiness of Jesus, that you would transform my heart and my mind, that I would not conform to the pattern of this world, but I'd be transformed through the renewing of my mind. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're so glad to have you here. Just want to say there are many elders and deacons future in this church. I, I want to prophesy that to you this morning. For some of you, that's landing right now. And uh, God's calling you to, to begin to study. He's calling you to begin to step up. He's calling you to begin to take ownership and leadership. Uh, and uh, God, God's got a journey for you ahead. There's faith for you. We believe for much in your life, uh, just as God does. Okay? Have an awesome week, and we will see you next week.